Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm David Comerford and I'll be your host this week and I'm joined as usual by Dan Club and Chloe Bloxham. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So today's episode comes off the back of a huge victory for Liverpool in the context of the title race away at Arsenal. So we're going to do a lot of digging into that. That's going to be our main focus for this episode, what it means in terms of Liverpool's ambitions this season. Um, And we'll also touch on the upcoming game against Nottingham Forest at the weekend in the FA Cup. An opportunity, obviously, there to return to Wembley not long after our League Cup final success. But before that, um, before the analysis, really, of the game in any depth, I wanted to come to you, Dan, because you had the opportunity to actually go to the game uh, last night at the Emirates. So I just really wanted to get a sense of of what that was like for you, this sort of feeling of excitement um, within within our supporters, you know, in the stadium, um, you might say, and uh, and yeah, just what it was like because it could obviously go down as a um, a famous win, really. Yeah, yeah, it certainly could do, um, and it it definitely had the feeling of like a moment within a season. By the end, I mean it was. The atmosphere was buzzing throughout. Like it was a really good day, full stop. Um, and there was a really good feeling amongst amongst us. Like even during the first forty-five, which I don't think we were particularly fluent in. But yeah, come the end, especially obviously the goals, the let off for both goals was incredible. Um, and the atmosphere, sort of, when we got to grips with the game, was was electric. And it did feel like at the end. There's something special that's happening. I think we've all been aware that something special is happening for quite some time now, but there's certain games that stick out in your mind. And there's certain, like you say, moments in the season whereby you think that performance, that victory was a key one on the path to something. And for me, I remember I was lucky enough as well to go to the Allianz and beat Bayern Munich um, on the way to Champions League. And that performance in in a very difficult place to go to was the start of something. At the end of that, we had that feeling. I remember feeling like, okay, this is it now. We're on the way to something extraordinary. And the atmosphere was very similar to that last night at the end of the game because after the match, we come out of the, st- the stadium and nobody went anywhere. And I mean, nobody went anywhere for about 20 minutes and it was just bouncing. Like we went through a repertoire of the songs and it just didn't stop. And, um, and it just made me think, really, like, it's not very often you get that. Sometimes you get a decent away performance and you pick up three points and everyone's happy and you move on. But like I say, because of what's gone on in the week and where we are in the title race, this one last night felt that little bit more important. And obviously Arsenal's form going into it, you know, any away victory is a big one. But like I say, this one just had that extra bit of, OK, then, like, brace yourself sort of situation and this is this is really really going to be incredible now so yeah it's hard to sort of um I suppose put into words how it felt but there was definitely a real buzz and a real excitement about the atmosphere I'm certainly jealous that you uh that you, you got to you know enjoy that one in the actual stadium I've not actually really myself had the opportunity to go to any sort of big away game the only ones I've been to have been sort of against like lower league teams really but uh yeah certainly I guess 
the kind of things I was almost expecting here in terms of the the buzz um, that's been generated. And it leads me kind of nicely, I suppose, into my sort of three-word review of the game because I've gone with it feels real. And that was just the feeling I had just as sort of the players were shaking hands at the end of the game yesterday. And obviously Klopp went up to the supporters um, and, you know, and did his, his customary fist pumps. And, you know, I think it's almost something that Carragher was, was talking about as well in terms of you know, all this time he's kind of expected City to, to win the league and always thought Liverpool only had a very slim chance even these past few weeks that the gap's come down. But now he, you know, he thinks certainly that Liverpool are the favourites from this point. I'm not sure. I've not really landed on where I am with that and we can get into that in a bit more detail later in the podcast. But certainly it feels now like it's really set up a grandstand finish. Um, the 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 couple of results really the the uh, Palace uh, City results on Monday and then this one obviously a couple of days later narrowing the gap to to one point. Um, yeah, it certainly does feel real now. Like I say, and I think just to say one more thing on that, the game felt big anyway. The game felt big even before City dropped points. Um, it's our second hardest game we've got left this season. Um, but it felt especially big off the back of a first half where I thought we were second best, not by a huge margin, and we had the better chances, but in terms of the balance of play, I thought we were second best. So to produce what we did in the second half, I think, was um, was huge, really. And sort of staying on that, I'll I'll bring you in now, Chloe, for your sort of three-word review. But I also want to bring up some um, comments from, from Gary Neville, which I think he made kind of in commentary as well as after the game, he said, it was kind of a title-winning performance from Liverpool in terms of the the way they were able to sort of steady steady the ship, if you like, um, in the first half and then come out and, and really get the job done um, against an informed Champions League chasing side away from home in the second half. So, yeah, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with my three-word review, to be honest, and that is these relentless reds. Uh, these reds just keep on going, don't they? There's been um, a, a run of fixtures now, which haven't been easy, one after the other. Um, and it feels like every time we've just stayed in the game, we've not been at our best, and yet we've been absolutely relentless with the chances that we have. Um, and we go again constantly. And that first half, it wasn't great. Um, I thought... The, the most worrying part for me was the fact that we were second to every ball. Um, it seemed like we were leggy. It really looked like these, the, like the lads were absolutely exhausted on the pitch. And then second half, they looked like re-energised. It looked like Sutton had lit a fire under them. And they knew, right, OK, well, they've kept that tempo for 45 minutes. If we now try and match that tempo, they'll never, ever, ever have deal with us and that's what happened we dictated the play we made the tempo high um, and Arsenal could not keep up with us once Liverpool get into a, a different gear they go up one gear it's extremely hard for even really good teams to deal with us especially after 45 minutes they've tried so hard to, to get a tempo that even Liverpool weren't at at the, at the time so I think it is these games that we're watching right now these are what everyone says are title-winning games in the sense of you don't have to be brilliant for 90 minutes. 
you don't even have to be brilliant, you know, for the, the majority of the game. You can be poor for 70, 75 minutes. But as long as you have that defence that hangs on and you have Alisson who comes up with an incredible save when he's needed. Because even though Arsenal played really well, there wasn't many... I think Martinelli in the last minute of the game where he puts it past the post, I think that's aside from the Odegaard chance, the best chance they have. I don't think Alisson's really made to work. Um, and yet when he has to make that in such an important save, because that obviously dictates the game in the sense of if they would have scored, who knows what would have happened. But he is so vital because that then gives us the licence to rebuild and start again and go again. Um, and we, we knocked the stuffing out of them and then we got the quick second. Um, there was rotation there, which was boss because you, you saw the fact of, yeah, one of them has just scored and now we're also bringing, you know, Salah and Bobby Firmino on. Go and enjoy that, lads. Um, Curtis Jones came in with, with a, a bit of time left as well. So um, it was just a relentless performance. And even when you don't play the best, get the three points. That's the most important thing. And we seem to keep doing that at the moment. Well, relentless is certainly the word at the moment. I think last night took us to eight on the bounce uh, in the Premier League. And uh, we've only conceded two two or three goals really over that stretch as well, which is huge, obviously. Um, and just on what you were saying about, you know, Arsenal and, and their chance, like with Odegaard, um, their XG for the game was 0.53 and actually 0.34 of that comes from Thiago essentially uh, gifting them an opportunity um, made amends obviously um, in in, uh, in good time with his pass for uh, for Jota but yeah he handed them that opportunity and that was uh, like you said the biggest um, thing that they had all game really so there was sort of Liverpool had that confidence and know that even though the crowd's up, they maybe aren't getting second balls, aren't flowing as an attacking force, they do still feel like things are under control and that's obviously a huge um, asset and a marker really of their sort of, of the calibre of, of team that this is and I just think generally, um, you know, you look at where it was in, in January and this 14 point figure keeps getting floated and it's kind of misleading in a way because there was games in hand factoring into that obviously um, although what I would say on that is I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago in the 18-19 season, this idea that Liverpool sort of bottled it because um, they were like 10 points clear. But then you actually look at it and there was a game in hand there, but people just don't really account for these in, these things in narratives. Um, you know, for it to be down to one point now, I, I don't think any of us, I mean, I can't speak for, for everyone here, but I certainly didn't expect the title race at that point. I think there was a couple of occasions where most people were saying the title race was, was sort of over. Um, and I think that was something Carragher said yesterday as well. Um, so, you know, to even be in this position, I don't think is um, something that anyone expected and is really testament to the run that we put together. But um, before I come to you, Dan, on your um, on your three words, was there something else you wanted to add, Chloe? I remember saying a couple of months ago, uh, we're still in this. And it was kind of a, a, a hope more than it was actually within this. But I always thought to myself, if you could get to the Etihad with a max of six points between you and City and you beat City, then the pressure is on. I always believed it was on. I I think when we went like 14 points behind, I said, I believe Liverpool could get back into this. But I also believe that Manchester City can put in a a run of games um, like Liverpool can. Um, But I remember saying, we're still in this. And it was much 
more hope than it was anything else. I didn't expect it to happen this fast. And I think it shows, I mean, you even look at what Bernardo Silva said the other day, was not asked a single thing about Liverpool, was asked about the performance and all of a sudden started mentioning Liverpool Football Club. And it gets you thinking, as soon as you put the pressure on, as soon as there's a buzz, these teams collapse. And not just that he collapse, it's also, I think they're a bitter in a way. Um, maybe not the fans, but definitely the players. Because I remember them winning like the, the, the treble or whatever it was. And Liverpool won the Champions League. And all you saw for that entire off-season was Liverpool won the Champions League. There was nothing on Man City doing what they'd done. It was European champions once again. Um, and I think City are just sick and tired of us. And um, it, it's boss because if you keep going at these players, um, you can get results against them. I think the, the biggest thing, obviously, is um, making sure that you don't slip up at the same time. Yeah, 100%. And um, I'm with City. Like, we'll come onto on this in a bit more depth later in the podcast. But I do think being in the position of Hunter is a lot more preferable in terms of the atmosphere at the club than being Hunter. You know, if it was the other way around and we'd seen a, a huge gap whittled down, I think we'd all be absolutely bricking it right now. Um, so you'd like to think that that's the kind of reaction we've induced um, in the City camp. But uh, coming over to you, Dan, for your three words and also if you thought it was sort of really not only an important win in terms of the title race, but an important performance as well. Um, and not only for the Premier League, but it says a lot, I think, about Liverpool's ability, you know, in these big games to, you know, really... They've just showed their metal, haven't they? Um, and that's something that could stand us in good stead with all these... Uh, trophies to compete for even at this stage yeah 100 percent uh, my fear of match review was just a big moment um i referenced the Bayern munich game um just earlier and the other game it sort of brought back memories of was aston villa away in the title winning season because it just felt like the sort of game where by having watched city drop points you know, you need to get that next three points on the board and it just so happened to be like a difficult fixture. So to go there, do it, and eventually stamp our authority on the game was was really something. Um, and I I hope and obviously believe that it will lead to something come the end of the season. So, and if it does do, then that this game will certainly be a sort of marker where we all look back on and go, that was the moment when. Um, so, yeah, in terms of... I suppose the performance more generally, I agree with Chloe in that we were particularly fantastic in the first half. I think we should credit Arsenal for that. But at the same time, we couldn't really string passes together in like the most simplest of terms. Um, things just weren't working at all. Things weren't coming off. Um, I thought, I don't really, in fact, I don't even want to single out a single individual because I thought across the board, we were all guilty of not really performing as we know we can. So there was a major reset needed at half time and Klopp was livid. Um, the players came out early, Klopp came out early. Um, and I think what we've seen in the second half, we often talk about Liverpool sort of shifting gears in games and playing in certain gears. We were a completely different animal in the second half, um, playing much higher up the field, the midfield in particular, 
um, 20 yards further up and just didn't allow Arsenal to settle into their rhythm that they had had in the first half at all. And not only that, we were playing with more conviction. Like our passes were actually finding you know, teammates and they were actually finding it with like a purpose. Um, and Thiago was probably the main sort of instigator with that. Having had a pretty anonymous first half, he was outstanding pretty much from the outset, apart from that particularly dodgy moment in the second. Um, so, yeah, I, I performance-wise, I thought it was everything you'd want to see in terms of a reaction from Liverpool. It also shows you the golfing class between Liverpool and Arsenal that we kind of all knew existed and definitely still does exist. Um, and in terms of moving forwards, I really like the ability to change games mid-game because very often, like Danny Year's report in Liverpool, you'll see like a pretty abject performance and it'll remain abject sort of throughout 90 minutes. And then you might be able to sort of solve them issues come the next game or sometimes even not. But the ability to sort of transform an entire performance from one half to the next is really key. So to stay calm enough and have the presence of mind to address what was a lot of issues at half time and come out in the second half and completely completely dictate the game really and, and transform the whole thing on its head against a raucous Arsenal crowd, because they were, they were decent last night, and what is a very good Arsenal side stands us in such good stead for what's to come because there's going to be difficult moments down the line. If we're going to do anything and certainly all of what we want this year, we are going to face adversity at some point. And if we can do what we did last night in them moments, then I've said it God knows how many times already, um, and it might be three hours sleep that I had last night, but something special could happen this year. You're certainly right about these difficult moments. I mean, Everyone's talking about the Man City game, but you look at Liverpool. I've got to go to to Newcastle as well. Um, we you know we know that they're in really good form at the moment. The crowd obviously be hugely up for that one. Aston Villa away, um, similar story with them really. Uh, Southampton away in the penultimate game of the season. You know, struggling a little bit at the moment maybe, but we we know that they're a good side. Obviously taking points off City on two occasions already this season. To move to move on to sort of individuals uh, for now. Um, I guess the place to start is with Joel Matip, um, named man of the match um, by Sky Sports. So I think technically he goes down as the official man of the match because it's like the uh, the rights holders get to choose. So Neville's given Matip man of the match. And we've seen as well, um, obviously not that long ago, he was named the uh, Premier League Player of the Month for February. So I'll come back to you, Chloe. Um, I guess the, the place to start is with his sort of performances as a whole this season really you know he's produced a, a huge performance there in a game of you know of great magnitude and um he's been named player of the month for as a centre-back and I think we all saw it on Twitter last week people pointing out that it's exceedingly rare for for that to happen so come sort of next month I think it is when the uh the team of the season comes out do you think uh Joel Matip deserves to be in there not just obviously we know he's been really good for Liverpool but is he someone who deserves recognition uh, across the league as a whole I mean these team of the seasons I never bother with because to be honest with you it's, it's the most popular wins um and 
I think Matip has been absolutely unbelievable all season. He's had a hiccup here and there, but aside from that, um, he's been consistently 8 out of 10 across the board. Um, he's obviously so good defensively, especially with Virgil next to him, because he's got someone who literally has such a commanding and calming presence next to you. Um, and he just helps you out so much with with everything that Virgil does. It, it helps you out. So I think that helps Matip out a lot. And I think the other thing that we have to highlight with Matip is um, Trent is more advanced. He goes forward more than, than Robbo maybe does. Both of our fullbacks obviously go forward a lot. But Trent is more up the pitch. He creates more chances. That's just a given. And Matip has to kind of cover for that in a sense and can be caught out at times um, you know if, if Hendo hasn't managed to get back and cover or whatever um, and even in those situations he's been brilliant the thing about Matip is though he's not just the the, the kind of player who um, once he's done his defensive duties he'll pass it on and let the midfield do it he he drives us up the pitch he is so creative um, and it's like no one realizes that a centre half's gonna gonna carry the ball up the pitch that much that they just don't even they they're not in a position to close them down. And I think there was a, a moment yesterday where he's on the edge of the box and he's got maybe two or three players around them and you're like, oh, he's gonna lose it, yeah. And he literally does a one like not a one-two, but um, a one-two between his feet. He gets in the middle of them and passes it to Firmino. And you think to yourself. This lad is lanky as hell. He's like six foot four, and he's literally just getting in the smallest crevices between these players um, and taking them on. And it's 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 ridiculous the the positions he gets. The Diaz goal uh, against Brighton, that's his ball. Um, so yeah, I think he's made a great argument for himself to be in a team of the season. Um, and I think he is so underrated by everyone else in this league. Um, there'll be people out there who think Laporte play better, John Stones play better. Um, and, you know, I mean, so many people think Tyro Mings is good, which absolutely goes beyond me because I think he's one of the worst centre-halves going. Um, but Joel Matip is literally, for me, one of the top three or four uh, centre-halves in the league. He's he's that good. I would not choose any other centre-half from any other league. I wouldn't have any of Chelsea centre-halves. I, I just wouldn't. I'd want Joel Matip. I think Joel Matip could pretty much slide in any team, um, slot in the centre-half position of any team in this league. Um, that's how good he is and that's how good he's been. Uh, whether he'll get the recognition, I don't really know. But like Jürgen Klopp said the other day, he's possibly the player that cares the least about these things. Um, and it's very good he does so because uh, whenever you look at him, he's always um, doing something that makes you laugh. He's always he, not and bothers him. Um, he, he's just dead funny as well as a character. So, um, yeah, he, he deserves to be highly rated like he is by, by the Liverpool fans. Uh, whether he will be is a, a different thing, but at least the Liverpool fans know and, and give him the support. And that's really all that matters. Uh, the outside fan crowd should shouldn't be a thing as long as the supporters, who uh, you know from the club that you play for, and then obviously also in the stadium, give you the credit you deserve and, and the love you deserve, then then that's sound because uh, as we know with Liverpool, as long as a player gives a hundred percent for the badge, they're absolutely adored. You know, you, you almost said word for word the uh, the point I was going to make about about Matip and this idea that he 
couldn't really care less about how highly rated he is. Um, different to a lot of players, I'd say. I think a lot of players are sensitive um, to how they're sort of covered in the media. Um, you know, I think people like Trent and Salah in the past, we've seen them sort of take great satisfaction from proving people wrong. I don't think Matip uh, really cares about that. And I wonder if that almost translates to him. You know, he's not, he is a centre-back who makes mistakes sometimes. And, you know, we've criticised him on here recently for this spell he had where he was giving the ball away in, in dangerous situations. It's not that he's he doesn't make mistakes, but I do think he might sort of be unflappable because he does have a really sort of unique kind of carefree attitude in a way. And maybe you see that in these uh, really ambitious uh, advances forward, which can be quite effective. But Dan, if we're not talking about team of the season per se, what about the... Ballon d'Or. Implicit, implicit, <laughs> the implicit recognition. Well, that'll come next year, but the <laughs> implicit recognition of, you know, Neville's obviously been highly complimentary with that award yesterday. He's been player of the month. We've talked about Massive for so long, not being being underrated, maybe being the most underrated player on the side in a way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is it the case that he is now starting to finally be appreciated? And I think it's pretty much objective that he's in the top five centre-backs in the Premier League. I think he's potentially in the Euro- the Europe conversation as well, beyond beyond just England. So do you think now, um, especially, and especially if he plays a key role in um, winning a couple more trophies this season, we're going to start to see Matip get the respect he deserves after all this time? Yeah, it certainly seems to be the case, doesn't it? Um, it's a strange one, really, to sort of get your head around. Um, there's a few sort of angles on it. Um, because we've all known, as Chloe like, rightly says, as Liverpool fans, just how good he is, and we've all appreciated him for a long time. Um, I wonder whether his prolonged availability has, has played a factor in other teams noticing him, because other teams probably just seen him as like this decent centre-half who was often injured um, and therefore was not of very little use, but not a particularly great servant for a long time to Liverpool because of that. Um, through no fault of his own, it was just one of them things. Um, but yeah, maybe that's played a part in the fact that he's now being recognised by sort of the outside world um, and the Gabby Nevels um, and such like. Um, and also, I wonder whether, I suppose, playing alongside, I suppose playing second fiddle to Virgil van Dijk, which is no mean feat in itself, kind of allows him to... I suppose, go, not go unnoticed, but go under the radar potentially slightly because, you know, trying to look as good as the man next door to you who is, quite frankly, the best of his to do it and he's just a freak of a footballer is really difficult. So, Matip's an outstanding footballer and does things with ease, but he doesn't do it as well as Van Dijk does, so everyone looks at Van Dijk. That's from, like, the outside looking in, whereas we... I've always been able to look at both of them and see the qualities in them both because we, I suppose, microanalyze Liverpool performances more so than other fans would. So I suppose it's only natural in many ways that Matip has gone unnoticed for so long. But there are definitely signs, obviously, the Premier League Player of the Month award was part of that. Um, and they also think this... He's always had this sort of adventurous side, hasn't he, in an attacking sense, but it seems to be coming out more and more this year. So if you couple sort of all those things together and obviously Liverpool are doing amazing things, generally speaking, I suppose it's only natural that 
people would start to go, oh, that Joel Matip lad you've had for about five years, he's actually really good. Um, and the fact he's a free transfer for a kickoff is just extraordinary. Again, it's just more outstanding recruitment from Liverpool. And, you know, alongside James Milner, he is going to go down as one of like the best free transfers the Premier League's ever seen. Um, but yeah, to, I suppose to, to summarise, um, he is getting more recognised by non-Liverpool supporters, and rightly so. This was a, a quick follow-up on Matip before we move on, actually. Just something that's sprung to mind now. Obviously, we, we signed him, I think, not long after Klopp took over. We sort of signed him with the view to the, the following summer. So he comes in ahead of the 16-17 season. Mm-hmm. As far as I remember, that season he... I remember the stat of every time we'd use Matip and Lovren uh, for a long time, they were unbeaten as a partnership. But when when did you start to look at him as as world-class and what were your sort of views of him? In the, Do you remember what, how you sort of viewed him in the early parts of his Liverpool career? Because I, I kind of don't, to be honest. I think I was a little bit like, yeah, I probably thought he was the best centre-back we had, but in terms of his sort of relative ability, you know, in terms of other centre-backs, I probably was a bit kind of ambivalent. So... What are your sort of recollections with that? Yeah, for me, I, I see where you're coming from in terms of not really appreciating him ourselves in the very early days. And I think that stems from, there was, a, there was a recognition that he was the best we had, but it was the best of a, compared to what we've got now, a pretty average bunch, wasn't it? And I think we were still conceding goals sort of en masse at that time. And we were still conceding some quite poor goals as well. So I suppose it was difficult to really heralded any of the centre-backs at that stage. Um, and also, on that, like, he isn't... So Van Dijk organises this defence, doesn't he? And Van Dijk essentially makes anyone who's alongside him look better. So he came in and he was able to do that, whereas Joel Matip either isn't of a level whereby he could do that. Like, he couldn't, I suppose, raise Dejan Lovren up to the sort of next stage of where he should have been at or where he could have been at. So... Joel Massive hasn't got that sort of leadership about him like Van Dyke does. He can't organise the rest of the people around him like Van Dyke. So I suppose that's one thing going against him, particularly in the early days before Van Dyke arrived. Um, but for me, it was a strange one when I started to really appreciate him and really notice just how good he was. And it was in a strange way because one of the first things that really caught my eye about him, if I'm being honest, was probably in sort of 17, I want to say 17, 18, sort of the back end. But it might even have been 18, 19. But whatever it was, it was the fact that despite all his injury issues, and they were, they've been plentiful haven't they, down the years since he joined us, but his ability to come into the side, you probably know what I'm going to say, and, and still be top class every time he came in. Like you see other players, like Joss is going through it now, in my opinion. Once they've had a little knock and they've been out of the team for a couple of weeks, they come back, or longer, they come back and they can't quite reach the same level they were at previously. But Matip just had this sort of innate ability to, it doesn't matter how long you've been out for, he'd come in and he'd be sort of an 8 out of 10 every single time. Like, he doesn't really drop below that. I, I struggle to think of any time he's dropped below that. And that's despite a really unsettled Liverpool career. So that got me thinking... This guy really is a top-class operator. If only we can get him fit for X, Y, Z amount of games, which is obviously what we've seen this season. And hence, we're talking about him like this. The Premier League are giving him awards. 
and Gary Neville is talking about him glowingly. So I suppose it all makes sense, really. Yeah, I think obviously the point about his performance levels despite injuries is a, a really important one. And, you know, comparing him to someone like Daniel Sturridge, and these are players who have had sort of the same frequency of injuries, really. You know, Matip in the past has been someone who he's available for a few games and then he's missing again. Um, and I'm not sure he's had, I remember those graphics with storage where he's like, he's injured every part of the body possible. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's quite had that sort of array of injuries, but certainly had similar issues. And we saw storage sort of towards the end of the Liverpool career still could score the odd goal, but certainly not like the player he was at his peak. Whereas Matip has actually seemed to get better um, in spite of that. So again, unique attitude and maybe unique a unique body as well. Yeah, and uh, ability way, as well, because that boils down to ability as well. Like to be to come in and not really need like we've seen it with Joe Gomez, haven't we, this season? I know it was a serious injury, but we've really seen it with Joe Gomez. But for Matip to come in and not really need that run of games to get back up to speed just shows the the class and the intelligence he's got, in my opinion. And you know, the intelligence is a huge thing for a defender, isn't it? With injuries, yeah. you know, that ability to sort of read the game can be sort of worth a sort of half a yard in those situations. But Chloe, is something you want to say on this? Yeah, I, I actually remember when he, he first came in um, and there was a buzz around him. I remember in the ground, um, I remember him, like, he was so commanding in a way, which I feel like probably now you don't see it as much because Virgil van Dijk's there. But um, he was so good, and we all thought to ourselves, I remember in the ground, people looking at you and going, he's boss him, can you believe, like, we, we got him for free. Like, that's unbelievable, that. And I remember there was a game, I think it was two thousand, the end of 2016, and it was against West Ham, and we drew 2-2. Um, and for some, for, for me auntie's birthday or whatever, um, she bought we the all of season tickets, but they wanted to go in um the new, you know, main stand and they wanted to go in the hospitality. So we went in the hospitality for that game and all around me was everyone just speaking about how good Matip was. And if you could stay fit, he'd be unreal. Um and every two minutes you'd hear a comment about Matip. And it was kind of like everyone knew he was good, everyone knew he could turn out to be brilliant and at the time he was our best centre half so we kind of did rave about him um, because I don't think he had the amount of mistakes in him that Dejan Lofton did so it was people were buzzing, people couldn't believe we'd got him for free and then obviously with injuries over time people were kind of like he's getting to the point of being annoying at the fact that he's so good when he plays but he just can't stay fit and if he stayed fit he'd be one of the best in the league um, so I think over time people realised, okay, he's a now a world class player, but his injuries are the problem because there's no point having someone in your squad who can only play two games in a row and then have to sit out for seven weeks. And that is the difference this year. It's touch wood now. Um, he's not been in a situation where he's missing long periods. He's not in for two weeks and out for four. Um, and I think that's helped him a lot because. He's settled in, he's consistent. Um, and also, when you come back from an injury, it's kind of getting used to the situations in a football game once again. He's already on that, he's switched on. Um, and, and going forward, he's absolutely sensational as well. But at the beginning, I remember on the cop, there was an absolute buzz around uh, around Joel Mathis. 
another player who was brilliant last night and probably a contender for Liverpool's man of the match um, was Fabinho, who I thought, especially in the first half, was absolutely outstanding. And again, I want to talk about him in terms of the season as a whole and his performance levels. Is he part of a group of, of players this season who have kind of been out in front of everyone else in our squad? So obviously, Mo Salah is going to be in that group. Alisson will probably be in there. Uh, Trent as well, potentially. But are you saying, you know, Fabinho deserves to be in that as well? And if we do go on to do something historic this season, then he's someone who, you know, deserves to be viewed as one of the key contributors to it. Yeah, I think he's the best in his position in the world. That's just how I view it. Um, He is absolutely incredible. Uh, And it goes unnoticed because, once again, he's a player that does the dirty work. He's not the player up there scoring goals, getting glamorous things. He's the one that's putting his foot in and constantly moving. Um, And if I was to name a team sheet, Fabinho would be one of the first on there. If Fabinho's not in a team, I'm slightly worried just because of how good he does his position. And yet Jordan Anderson can play there, but I don't want Jordan Anderson to play there. Um, I want Fabinho to play there because, like, he, he just hoovers up. Um, he was making some massive blocks yesterday. He was getting out to the man, constantly uh, getting the tackle in on, on the lads, and that sets us away because we also win that the ball high up the pitch. Um, and I just think Fabinho is the, the world's best in that position. I don't think there's many that can compare to him. Um, and I think... Since we brought him in, he's been absolutely sensational. Um, he, you know, he, at first he might have had a, a tough time getting used to the, that maybe the the strength of of what the Premier League is like. Playing Burnley, it's it, it's not like what you're doing in the French league. Lad. Playing a bottom half team in in the Premier League is is absolutely massive. Still, it's such an incredibly hard game. Um, and I think he had to get up to speed with how much intensity was in the game. But once he has, he's been immense. He's all over the pitch. I mean, we talk about Kante. I think he's up there with Kante. I really do. Yeah, Kante's done it for several more years. But I think Fabinho is that good. And also Fabinho's been more consistent so far this season. There's been plenty of times Kante's not been there in the squad. Um, and I, I just think for me, if he, you know, He's, if you were to ask me to pick a midfield, the first name I'm, I'm saying is Fabinho. Um, he's got to be there. He's so integral. And I think that's why we have so much possession because, um, and, and maybe like yesterday where Arsenal didn't have clear-cut chances apart from maybe Odegaard and Martinelli in the full 90 minutes. It's because you've got to get through Fabinho first. And if you're not getting through Fabinho, you've then got to get through Virgil and Matic. So it's kind of like extra protection in, and he's just, he's incredible. Um, and the other thing that I'm so impressed with is Fabinho's passing. I remember that pass that he, that he gets for Mane's goal against United, uh, the season we win it at home at Anfield. Um, the shot that he gets against Manchester City with the strength he's got. He's obviously penenkered Kepa in the final of a Carabao Cup. He's got so many assets there. He's a leader. Um and you know he's 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 just boss. He's so controlling in in that midfield. And if you lose the ball, you know that anyone doing a fifty fifty with Fabinho, um, I think they're more worried about who they're facing than than Fabinho is about who the player in front of them is. Yeah, he makes so many crucial tackles. Really, I think when we look back at this era, it will be something 
we look at that sort of signing um, after missing out on the Champions League as in this team's spine. And he's really stylistically important as well. You know, like you say, um, the team has certainly a lot to do because of how aggressive Liverpool are um, in their in their sort of shape and, and their positions, really. But Dan, I want to come to you on the other two Brazilians, uh, really. Uh, Alisson, who obviously made a crucial save Mm-hmm. Yesterday and then uh, Firmino comes on and gets a goal. Um, so I want, yeah, I wanted to talk in a minute about kind of our attack and options more generally. But before that, that kind of wider discussion, I suppose, just yeah, on last night, um, those two and maybe any other honourable mentions that you think deserve a shout. Yeah, um, starting with Allison, um, obviously at the key moment in the game, um, and Chloe spoke about it earlier, um, and she was dead right because the whole game could change on that. Um, it's a terrible pass from Thiago, isn't it? Um, but he made up for it a couple of minutes later, in fairness to him. But Alisson's the best in the world um, at one-on-one goalkeeping. He may well be the best in the world, full stop. But there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that when it comes to those sort of situations whereby Alisson has to be proactive and almost make the decision, make the mind up of the striker or of the attacker. Like, Odegaard in that situation has no other option but to kind of blast it because Allison's made him by what he's done. And obviously to make himself so big and to get such a strong forearm on it to sort of balloon it over, it's just outstanding goalkeeping. Um, and we've seen it time and time again from him. Um, this season in particular, like as sort of imperious as Liverpool have been at times, you know, he has kept us in certain games. And people almost reflect on that in a negative sense. You know, yeah, you, but you might have done X, Y, Z if it wasn't for Allison. But we do have Allison, and he is exceptional. And we did pay a lot of money for him for that reason. And so he is allowed to make world class saves, which is certainly what he did last night. And um, and on Firmino, this was a really um, interesting cameo performance from Bobby Firmino because I feel like it was somewhat of a timely reminder. Um, about just how important he is. And it's something I know you referenced, Dave, on Twitter last night, and I did the same today. Um, because I think we're all guilty of not forgetting about him, because that's not true, but almost with the whole Diaz situation, and Diogo Jota is clinical and he's brilliant and we love him to pieces. But we've all just perhaps slightly misjudged the importance of Roberto Firmino still. Um, I think I said after the Inter Milan game at Anfield the other week, I think we really missed him in that game. And I think last night was just further proof as to why, because as good as all the other players are in the attack, I know you want to talk about it in a minute, so I won't go too deep into it. Firmino showed last night just what he offers that's different to them in terms of his his hold-up play was exceptional. He was nicking the ball back off Thomas Partey in midfield and getting us back on the front foot. Um, and just his movement. And what I will say is, and this is solely focused on last night, is the front three in the first half just didn't get into the game, really. Truth be known, they just didn't get a kick. And at times they were interchanging and swapping wings and just trying to get into it. And it never really happened. I know we scored before it changed, but it never really worked at any point other than that one moment. Whereas as soon as Firmino came on and Salah, and we had like the old faithful of Mane, Firmino, Salah, front three. All of them 
Manny in particular just seemed to grow in stature into the game. It was almost as if said, OK, yeah, I recognise this now. I've got Firmino to the right of me. I've got Salah on the other side. I know this. I know where I'm at. And he was so much better, Tadio Mane, for the last 20 minutes than he was throughout the entire game. And I just think Firmino offers that to pretty much the entire side. And we need to remember that, is all I'm going to say, because we've got a lot of important games coming up, like we've already said. And Firmino is going to need to start a lot of them. And we all love Jota. We all love Diaz. But Firmino, although he doesn't get the goals of the others, is crucial still. Um, and in terms of honourable mentions, there is one I'd like to make before we do move on to attackers, and it's Andy Robertson, because I think he's been brilliant for a few weeks now, like they all have, but Andy Robertson last night in particular, and the second goal kind of encapsulated that in how he wins the ball back and has the composure to set it up. I thought he was absolutely superb last night, especially considering Arsenal really targeted him and Saka, they really wanted to get Saka on the ball. Robertson just never let it happen. They ended up having to go to Martinelli a lot more because Robertson wasn't having a sniff of it. So he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, once again, like Chloe today, you've almost finished with the exact point that I was going to sort of <laughs> say in terms of uh, just, you know, trying to get Saka into it. And obviously Martinelli had a lot of joy against Trent in the game, but Saka was kind of shut down, I'd say, for the most part and, and came off. Um, with about 20 minutes to go, I want to say. So, yeah, definite um, testament to Rabo on that one. And on the Firmino thing, yeah, I thought Diogo Jota had one of those games where he couldn't really impact it, um, but still managed to score. And that's obviously encouraging. Um, yeah. In a way, you can certainly look at it like that. But, um, you know, he was, it was a very frustrating first half for him. And I thought that Firmino's substitution worked perfectly. He did exactly... Uh, what you would have wanted them to. So I can only agree really with what you've said on that. And certainly some interesting decisions to be made in the coming weeks, not only in terms of keeping players fresh, but in terms of matching players up to different sort of tactical conundrums that Klopp will face. But staying with the attack, um, Neville's made this point a couple of times now. I think he said it on Monday Night Football and he said it last night in um, in the commentary as well. He said, there's no doubt that those five Liverpool strikers, so obviously Salah, Mane, Diaz, Jota and Firmino, are a lot stronger than Manchester City's. And I did a little bit of digging on that um, and uh, pulled up some statistics. So those five players have scored 87 goals combined this season, if you include Diaz's goals at Porto. Um, Whereas Mares, Sterling, Foden, Grealish and Jesus, who I suppose would be the City equivalent, it tends to be three out of five of them uh, playing in the front line. I've only scored 54. So quite a big difference there. Not a perfect comparison for a couple of reasons, but still, um, you know, the difference is significant. So Chloe, we're looking here at two of the best sides in Prem history, extremely closely matched teams who've gone toe-to-toe, 98 and 97 points. If we're looking for something that could separate them with the gap being so fine now, is that potentially something that could be a decisive factor in Liverpool's favour? Um, I think it is, but as a City fan, I don't like. I don't think a City fan could complain with their front three, to be honest, with how much money they spend. And, and the, um, I, I, I don't know who it was. It might have been Neville the other day. And um, they were talking about the fact that maybe City don't have the squad depth. 
And I thought to myself, City have fifty million pound backup sitting on their bench. Liverpool don't have that. Liverpool have Alex Oxley, Jamelin, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, Naby Keita. Yeah, sure, get it. And obviously we've got Salah. Salah even then was only thirty million. We made him who he is now. Liverpool Football Club has made Salah what he is. Um, and yeah, okay, I think our front five are better than than Man City is. But Man City still create a ridiculous amount of chances. They have Kevin De Bruyne, who for me is probably the best midfielder in in the world, one of the. So I mean, I don't yes, I think in that Crystal Palace game, if it was Liverpool, yeah, we probably you know would have had had, had a shot and and a, and a goal or whatever. But um, sometimes it's also luck. I, I also think you know. City were dead unlucky. I mean, I think Bernardo Silva has a chance where I don't know how he's possibly missed it um, from like a yard out. And sometimes luck goes in your way and sometimes it doesn't. And I think the front five may be an important factor um, for Liverpool, but I don't think it's as massive as everyone's making out. I, I, I really don't. I think are from five are absolutely amazing and it's brilliant. I think I think more than anything, it's better for rotation because these players, we know that if Sadio Mane needs a break or if Mo Salah needs a break, we've got brilliant players to come off the bench and go in those positions. Um, but I still think City create just as many chances as Liverpool do. Um, and yet they probably don't have a talisman putting it in. But if you actually look at their goals and the way they play, it's not like they need a, 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 a well, they obviously need a striker, but it's not like they need someone to, to bang one in from 30 yards. They need kind of poachers. And um, with the way they play with the tiki taka football, in the sense that they're constantly in and around your box, you've got Kevin De Bruyne putting balls in from every angle, um, which always seem to be on the money. Um, I don't think it's massive. I really don't. I, I don't know why it is. And maybe it's because I don't want to believe it is because then it feels like Liverpool. I, I want to be the underdogs. That's that that's my point here. I don't want to be the people who are out in front and, and um running with it. I, I, I don't know why. I want to be seen as the underdog still. Um and therefore I still think that city is cities from line is, is still good enough. Um, and if it wasn't, they wouldn't be in the position that they are because they've dealt with it so far this season. And it's also the the, the moments in which you score. We scored six against Leeds, which is it could be massive for the title race, you know, depending on goal difference. But I'd much rather take six one nil wins, um, and and that's just purely based on the points. So it's massive in a sense of rotation. It's massive because we always know that we've got a goal scorer on the pitch somewhere. But sometimes you need a bit of luck. And City, per se, got it when, you know, that Everton handball didn't happen, uh, which was such a clear handball. They got the luck there. Sometimes you just need a bit of luck in football. Um, and to be champions, you need luck as well. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's massive. But I don't want to say it's as big as everyone's making out. The thing with City is, you look at these games, they drop points allowing us to close the gaps. Southampton away, Spurs at home, and Crystal Palace away. I don't think they've been particularly bad in any of those games, to be honest. I think, in fact, they've actually played quite well uh, for the most part. Um, created quite a lot of chances um, against Spurs. They were just sort of done, really, um, by a- an attack that 
I think thrives um, when they sort of have the opportunity to counter attack into space more so than there may be any other. Um, just a ruthless performance from Spurs, well executed. Um, but certainly in in the other two matches, I think it felt like it didn't feel sustainable. The pattern of the game, City's dominance. But what's weird is you look at other games, you know, Everton away, Arsenal away, Wolves at home. I think as well where they really looked off it, um, but still managed to win. So the point they're not dropping points almost. The, the drop points aren't really a reflection of performances in a strange way. But to bring you in on the sort of forwards discussion and whether that's a difference maker, Dan, I guess the question I'd ask is, are Liverpool maybe a more, not necessarily a better football team than Man City, but are they a more ruthless team potentially? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say so. Yeah, 100%. Because that's been sort of the one thing, um, I suppose, labelled that Manchester City this season, hasn't it? That they have looked a little bit toothless in attack at times. Um, and although they're able to sort of dominate games and definitely dictate proceedings for the most part against anyone, not having... Like, we've got clinical players all over the place, haven't we? I mean, Jota's 13 in 26 now in the Premier League this season. And that's sort of like pretty much elite level striker form, isn't it? I mean, Salah's kind of thrown the rule book out the window in terms of numbers, hasn't he? But back in the day, I remember if you were one in two, you were serious, you know, a serious Premier League striker. Um, and we've got three people doing that right now and, and City don't. Um, and not only have we got sort of three frontline people doing that, we've also got Louis Diaz has chipped in with two goals already. He's only been here a month. Um, Origi's chipped in with goals at certain points down, down the line. And Firmino's got one Premier League hat-trick this season and has also scored goals. So I would say we are a more ruthless outfit than them. And when we are in full flight, there's pretty much no stopping us. Whereas I think for us... As City can not let the opposition have a kick of the football that isn't necessarily always particularly penetrating. And as much as, like Chloe says, Kevin De Bruyne is a, a seriously good football player, it doesn't necessarily always mean that they're going to hammer teams. And one thing I will say on it in particular is that if we do have games coming up, which we will have, that have sticky periods and you know, it might look like, oh, this might sort of go out in with a whimper, like City did against Palace and just end nil-nil and Liverpool end up really frustrated and so on and so forth. If you look at the options we've got now, we have options on the bench, like we've shown last night. I mean, we won't want the up and we brought Salah and Firmino on. I mean, that is just ludicrous. Um, but if we could bring on Jota and Diaz into a game that we're struggling to break a team down with, that adds a whole new impetus. So if you're an opponent, you feel like, oh, I've dealt with this Liverpool front three that started the game for an hour now. This is great. And all of a sudden, Diaz comes on. You're thinking, really? Like, this is ridiculous. Especially the way he plays the game. Um, And the other thing I'd say on it is, if we really are chasing a game, which we could well be at some point in some competition this season yet, um, we also could go to that four that we've seen fleetingly at times. Like We have the options now to really mix it up. And if we went to a four, I don't know how that would look. I'd imagine Firmino would be involved in sort of a 10 role at some, in some description. But that firepower, I don't see many teams living with that. 
because the options and you'd imagine Klopp would be working on these things in training that if we are coming up against a really stubborn team that we just haven't been able to break down we've got the capability now to make that difference whereas City's almost robotic nature in the way they play football I'm not sure they have got that so we've got many ways of winning football matches is what I'd say and our attacking prowess for me could well prove to be the difference it was interesting the other day that uh, Pep didn't use any of his subs um, against Because Palace. they're all very similar, aren't they? Sorry, they're all very similar, aren't they? Like, if you look at his subs, what's he going, what was he going to do there, really? He wasn't going to change the way they were going to play in any way, shape or form. Whereas if we bring a Diaz on, that is a bit of a change from the norm because there's no one as direct as him. There's no one as quick as him. And also he's got the X factor. He might just do something mad. And Jota similarly plays on the shoulder and he's just sharp and he's just lethal. Origi yeah. is another one. Origi's a completely different option. So I'm not sure Pep has them options at his disposal. Sorry to jump up. The thing that I, the, the reason why I said it, I think it's big at the fact that we've got the players that we have, but the, the thing that I'm not, I, I don't want to get into the sense of, yeah, we can score as many as we like because it was a game this season where Against Aston Villa alone, we struggled and we needed yes. the penalty to score. And there's things like that. And my point is, the way Manchester City play, I don't think it screams as much for um, the kind of, I don't know, out-and-out striker. Then it, it, it it's just, it's in and around the box constantly. And the little cute passes and the little nice crosses and we've seen City can absolutely tear football teams apart and they continue to do so. I mean, Crystal Palace did really, really well defensively to hang on, but they should have conceded in that game and they didn't. So for me, City is still creating the same amount of chances. They're still creating extremely good chances. The majority of them will be inside that that six-yard box. It, it just will. It'll be in the penalty area. Um, and also... You look at what what they've got outside the box. Mares on his left foot outside the box is incredible. You've got Kevin De Bruyne and you can hit a ball like no one else. He's sensational when he when he when he hits a ball outside uh, the box. And I just think for their, I think we need ruthlessness more because we are kind of more of a counter uh, attacking team. Like on the counter attack, we're more scary than I say City are, but City. Their build-up is so cute and so nice. And Liverpool can do that. And I guess we can do more, which gives us um, an advantage. But I just think it'd be stupid to think that City could not sit here and made a lead 6-0 the same way we made a lead 6-0. Um, because they've got enough players in that squad to do it. I mean, he signed 100 million Jack Grealish. Do I think it's a great signing? No, but he's clearly got class and... He's not settled in or done as well as everyone thinks. But who knows? He might thrive under pressure. And right now, City are under pressure. And he might turn up. So, um, it's not that I don't think we've got the better the better players in that area. I think we've got the best, the, the, a better squad depth than them. And I think we have something extra than their players do. But I just feel like at times over the years, I've sat there and... You get your hopes up and City then find a way somehow. 
They just do. And I bet they probably thought it with us that season where, like you mentioned before, Dan, where we've got like 10 minutes to go and we score two away goals against Aston Villa. And I sometimes get that feeling with City where you it's the hope that kills you. You yeah. think they're going to drop points, but you're on the edge of your seat because you know that they're pressing so much and that you feel a goal coming. Um, so it's uh, it could be a big thing and I think it probably will be. But... Um, as long as you get the three points, I'm not really asked if it's a 5-0 or a 1-0 win. I think one other thing I'd say on that is like it's not going to be an excuse for City if that proves to be the difference because I'm almost taking it from your answer, Chloe, that you think, well, yes, Liverpool are stronger there, but Man City shouldn't be able to just, you know, say, just to kind of bank on that and say, oh, well, maybe Liverpool actually have this the same squad depth that we have haven't sort of complained about it all along it's not it's not like that it's more about the misallocation of resources potentially you know they had 100 million to spend clearly on their attack and department last year um whether they spent that in the best way or not um you certainly ask the question that at this point and the other thing i'd say is you watch games like that crystal palace city game and you see how tiring it is to go up against liverpool or a city and try and hold them out for 90 minutes which feels like three hours um, at times and you know to have a Diaz or Firmino or Jota coming on with 25-30 minutes to go in a game like that the amount that the opposition will have tired by that point and it's demoralising and it's another test um, different skill set that the players would have I think could be decisive and we might see big moments off the bench uh, in these final stretch of games but before we Look at Forest briefly. Um, there's been a discussion sort of going round ever since the game last night of who would you rather be, Liverpool or Man City? We know City are currently top of the table, uh, but Liverpool have the momentum, I should say, uh, at this stage. For me, it's a tricky one because I think a big, big factor is the fact that we have to go to the Etihad, a place where we haven't, we've not won there in in the Premier League. Um, since we've both been sort of title contenders. Uh, so that's sort of something that makes me a bit worried, I'd say. Um, and I know that game is going to be extraordinarily difficult. Um, so that's maybe a reason why I'm kind of on the fence a little bit with this one. Um, Dan, what about you, though? Um, we know City have more points, bottom line. But if you were, I mean, it's hard to look at it from the outside. And I suppose, hmm. but I suppose that is the best way to do it. Who would you rather be? Do you know what? And I honestly, honestly, hand on heart, believe this. I would still rather be Liverpool. Um, and it, it all boils down to that key word, momentum, because there can be absolutely no doubt about it. All the momentum is with us. And as small as they may be, and I completely agree with all of Chloe's points about sort of City's, you know, strength as you mentioned earlier, because they are ridiculously strong and the fact they've got 50 million pound footballers in every department is is ludicrous. But aside from that, everything in sort of the past three or four weeks has just began pointing in our favour. City's performances have dipped. The results as a consequence have dipped, but even the games they've won, like they beat Arsenal not so long ago and they probably didn't deserve to. They beat Everton and they certainly didn't deserve to because that's a penalty. And we, on the other hand, are just slowly going through the gears 
and picking off teams left, right and centre in every competition, by the way. And at that time, we've got this squad like strength that suddenly emerged out of nowhere because loads of people have come back to fitness and we've added Louis Diaz and so on and so forth. And as much as I quite like being the hunter in all of this, like you think you both referenced, we have shown in the past that we have the sort of elite mentality to just go on and on and on. And that comes back to that relentlessness word. And we can do that. We can just go and go and go. And, you know, we've won X amount of games on a spin now. And I know the Inter Milan was a little sort of blot on the copybook, if you like. But if you're going to lose, that was the one, wasn't it? So there's absolutely no reason whereby we can't just go again from this point on. I mean, we've got Forrest and we've got a little international break and touch wood, everyone comes back fine. And then we just seem to me to be, I'm not even sure if we peaked in the last few weeks. How many times have we come in here and spoken about Liverpool playing in X gear and not really going up from that and getting through the game and managing minutes? And we've brought off Henderson, we've brought off Cater, we've brought off Thiago to manage their minutes. And we haven't seen Harvey Elliott for a number of weeks now. We haven't seen Oxley Chamberlain for a number of weeks now. The front five, as we just spoken about, are rotating constantly. Salad didn't start last night. And this, to me, is all primed towards what is going to be after the international break, the full tilt running until the end of the season. And that's all happening for us. Whereas for City, I just feel like they're stuttering slightly. And I know it's easy to say because the results aren't perfect, but I don't know, there's just something about them that doesn't seem... They like to win leagues in sort of the middle of the season, Pep Guardiola. He likes to go on this crazy run in the middle of the season whereby all the challenges just drop off. And Chelsea did, but we haven't. And that's why he calls us a pain in the arse, because he expected us to be gone and sort of in the rearview mirror and not even challenging for the title come this point. But we're not. We're there again. We've caught up again. And I, I don't know what it is. I just feel like, and I could be wrong, in City are a, a superb football team, but we're a machine at the minute. And Pep doesn't like us. And Pep doesn't expect us to be there with him. But we are. And we're not going away. And there's just something telling me that we're going to do it. And whether we do it in the other competitions, I'm not sure. But in terms of the title race, right now, as things stand, despite being a point behind them and despite having to go there, we are in the best position. Because everything about us right now is pointing in the right direction and I'm not sure it is for them. It reminds me of something I saw in um, 1819 when we were constantly staying within within a point of them. Obviously, both teams ended up winning all their games over that run-in, but remember a City fan describing us as a wasp at a picnic and yeah. that, sort of, that sort of feeling of really breathing down the neck of the team is quite... Um, I don't know. You just—it's like what, like I said earlier, it's that that hunter-hunter dynamic, and I think it puts more pressure on the other team, even though neither team really has any room for error. Um, Chloe, I'll ask you kind of the same question, but I wonder as well if, obviously, with both teams in the Champions League quarterfinals, do you think that the the Champions League is going to play a part in shaping the Premier League title race? Maybe I think more than anything, Liverpool have got a harder running than Manchester City. Um, I think Man City's next game is Burnley away. And 
Burnley are fighting for their lives. They need something. But you'd assume, as Manchester City, they've got too much quality. Um, and then, obviously, they face us. The thing with Man City, for me, is I feel like they've got something to lose. Like, I'm sat here, and we were 14 points behind with games and hands or whatever. But there was everyone saying we weren't going to win it from the, the beginning of the season. And there was most definitely nearly everyone saying it two months ago that we weren't going to win it at all. Um, and, you know, their predictions were correct. So I actually think City are the one here who can lose. You know, when, you, when you're 1-0 up in a game, you're more nervous than you were when you were 0-0 because you've got something to lose. And I think that's City right now because they were so far ahead they have something to lose. They're in front. They can people can look at this and say that's one of the biggest collapses or that's one of the best comes comebacks in the Premier League history. Champions League, I think it can do whoever goes further. I it, but also saying that, um we're winning all competitions, both of us now. We won the League Cup, so that that's that's one done. But they they play Southampton in the FA Cup. And it's all about who you get in the Champions League as well. If we get Benfica or Villarreal, I'll be absolutely made up. I will tip us even more to win this league. Um, because it's not a case of a thing you can rest players, but I don't think you need to be in a certain... I don't think... And I want to respect these teams in the best way because of weird, like how far they've came in the Champions League this season. But you... as I just want to not get any of the big teams because not just is it the effort that you have to put in on the pitch it's also the mental effort like if you got Chelsea or Man City in the Champions League I'd absolutely brick it because it's it means more to lose against them where if I lost against I don't know a Bayern Munich I could maybe take it a bit better um, I don't want to be beaten by the English clubs because I don't I'd rather someone else try and have a go first Um. And I, for me, I think it's a case of City have got the easier running. Um, we've still got to go to their stadium. They'll have all the plastic flags out that they were given last time in the Champions League second leg. Um, and they will show up for that. And they are an incredible side. But um, I also would hate to beat them because I'd feel nervous because I, I, obviously you've got one of the greatest Premier League teams coming right back at you. Um, and I think the international break is pivotal. And the reason it is, is who comes back stronger? Is this international break better for Liverpool right now or is it better for Man City? Because like Dan mentioned there, momentum. Yeah, it's only a week, but it's a week where these players are on international duty all over the world. You know, stupid hour playing flights. Um, there's COVID still about, believe it or not. There's injuries that can be had. And these are friendlies, but, uh, well, at least England's are friendlies, but I, I wouldn't like to see Trent playing both games. I just wouldn't um, from a Liverpool perspective. So it's who can start off as quickly as possible um, after the international break as well, because um, it kind of can stop your momentum. And I think with City's last performance, not that they played bad, but I think the international break takes the, the talk away from them because everyone's now talking about them. I think this international break kind of takes the talk away from from the Premier League, takes the talk away from Man City, and they can reset. And it's who comes back the fastest. Um, 
And Liverpool have at times came back quite slow after an international break because it breaks up your rhythm, of course it does. So um, I actually think this international break is pivotal and whoever starts fastest um, can potentially win the league. And hopefully it will be Liverpool. But I do think it's better being City right now because I think they have the easier games um, and Liverpool also have to go to the Etihad. Yeah, I think from a fixture standpoint, I'd have to agree. And with the international break, obviously we've got um, at least a couple of players in a World Cup qualification playoffs as well. Um, obviously Salah and Mane having that rematch after the the Afcon final. I think over over a couple of games potentially. Um, so yeah, there is going to be some having to deal with pretty intense demands. Before that, uh, we have the Forest game in the FA Cup, so a break a break from a Premier League action um, with a. Highly questionable quarter past six kickoff on Sunday evening. Um, so our preview this time is simply going to consist of, of lineups because um, there probably will be changes to the side, even though it is a, a quarter final. Uh, I'll just uh, rattle my team off first of all. Uh, so I'll have Keller coming in in goal. Um, I'd keep Trent at right back personally. Um, I think it's good to have a couple of kind of star names maybe in the side. Um, given the importance to fixture and you know Forrester a, a decent championship side um, we don't maybe have the ideal right back cover that we do on the left so I'd have Simakas uh, on the other side if he's back from illness with Gomez and Kanate uh, forming the centre-back partnership like they did against Norwich in the previous round midfield I'd have Henderson as the number six uh, with Oxley chamberlain right centre-mid and Jones left centre-mid and then front three, I found a bit difficult, to be honest. Um, I'd probably play Minamino and Origi uh, on the wings. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think they potentially deserve to play the game. You know, we don't know how many more Origi in particular will actually get for Liverpool. Um, and then it's kind of a toss-up between Jota and Firmino for the striker role. Firmino might be the better option in the sense that he's not going to be going on international duty. Uh, whereas Jota will be, and I believe that uh, Portugal are one of those teams who face a uh, a World Cup qualifier. So, uh, yeah, I think Jota will be potentially a lot of will be asked of him um, physically in that break. It's not going to be maybe low intensity games, so it could be the best better idea to to kind of save him and give Firmino a bit more rhythm. He's only just come back himself, obviously, and then you'd have the likes of Diaz and Mane on the bench if you needed them. Uh, so, Dan, uh, let's have your team. Yeah, it's slightly different, actually, this week. But I, you've said it at the top, really, there. Um, really difficult team to pick for lots of reasons. I think we've got the luxury of being able to rotate. Um, and not just rotate for the sake of it being the cup, but rotate players that actually need and deserve minutes, which I think is really nice and important. Um, but for me, I'd go Keller in goal, same as you. I'd actually go Joe Gomez right back for this one, which... Um, I'm not in love with, but I, I think that's the way to go. And I'd go Canate with Van Dijk um, because we've got five subs. So with the view of bringing Van Dijk off at some point, hopefully. Um, Simicast at left back like you. And then James Milner in the sixth, because I think we need to give Henderson and Fabinho, who are both going to be going on international duty, um, a rest if possible. Um, they could both be on the bench, of course. Um, and then you go Harvey Elliott, in the right-hand side of midfield, and Naby Keita on the left of it, because Neva got a kick last night at Arsenal. Um, and then on the right-hand side of 
attack. I'd be going with Jota because I think he actually still needs the minutes um, and I think he still needs the sort of match up. And despite his goal, I thought his all-round performance last night was was a little bit, left a little bit to be desired, should I say. Um, and then Diaz on the left-hand side. Don't see any issues there. He came off quite early yesterday. Um, keep him going. And then Firmino through the middle because get a half an hour cameo, as you say, won't be going away with Brazil. So makes a lot of sense for me. Um, and we'll have a strong bench to boot if we need it. So that'll be me. And Chloe, what have you gone with? How many sort of changes from, from Dan's? Uh, pretty much similar. I, I've gone with Alisson and goal. Uh, I'm pretty sure he played the last one against Norwich in the FA Cup, was it? Mm. Um, I mean, I'd be sad to see Callagher, but... Uh, the thought that Kelleher's won a trophy now, he's on the wall. Um, maybe you know, having to say to Allison, you, you you're gonna sit this one out. Maybe he comes in for the FA Cup. Um, so I've gone with Allison. Um, I think I'd like to see Chamberlain in midfield. I, I went with the, a similar back four as uh, to you, Dan. Um, I put Milner as me six, Curtis Jones. On the right, and also Oxley Chamberlain. Uh, Curtis Jones on the left, Oxley Chamberlain on the right. And my front three would have to be uh, Divock Um I'm, I'm stuck because I want to put Diaz in for the main part of. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think. I thought he was all right last night, but I didn't think he was unbelievable. And that was partly because we didn't play brilliantly. Um, but I'll, I'll put him on the left. I want Jota to. to Stay fit and healthy. I don't want him. Uh, I'll be sound with him off the bench. Maybe give him twenty minutes. Um, and for me, and I'm up top. So yeah, um, all over the place a bit for me, but I quite enjoy. It. Yeah, well, a lot of variation. I think that speaks to the the challenge that Klopp is going to face um, on Sunday. So we're going to be back um, during the international break when we'll know if uh, Liverpool are going to Wembley again or not um, and obviously we'll be back in Premier League action after the break uh, with the Watford match before then however you can visit our YouTube channel tomorrow because we're going to be putting up a short reaction video to the Champions League quarterfinal draw so there'll be a, a link in the episode description um, to the YouTube channel so you can watch out for that tomorrow and please obviously subscribe to it as well and also while you're at it why not give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify, positive review on any other platforms you might use. And uh, yeah, share it as widely as possible if you enjoy it. So yeah, that is going to about wrap us up for episode 59. Quick final thoughts. Uh, first of all, though, uh, Chloe? Not much. Let's just hope that uh, we go into the international break with uh, another victory. Absolutely. And Dan? Yeah, very similar. Um, but honestly, if last night was anything to go by, then... Just enjoy. Just enjoy every single moment of this football side right now. Well, certainly doing a very good job recently to uh, to finish our podcasts with a, a motivational note. But I think obviously it's Liverpool who are uh, allowing us to do that. So like I said at the start of the podcast, it does really sort of feel real now. So stick with us over not only the next few weeks, but next couple of months uh, and this run in to see if Liverpool can make history. But yeah, we'll be back during the international break, like I say. Until then, take care.